Hey, welcome back to the Whiskey Tapes. This is Mark. It's been a while since our last show as we've been gearing up to bring you some new voices. Up until this episode, we've been using our third-party loops for intros and outros, but for this episode on popular request, we're going to start recording our own guitars moving forward. Today, we're going to be talking to Brian Rathbun. This is our first podcast recorded outside of the basement on location, most notably in Brian's woodshop. You'll hear the distinct sound of him sanding a new cabinet he's building for a local winery in the first few minutes as we're setting up. My first exposure to Brian was his outspoken nature at several town meetings. After Margaret struck up a friendship with Brian and his wife Pam, and she learned about how he spends most of his time in the woodshop, I didn't want to pass up the opportunity for a dram and some conversation with his longtime local and retired pattern maker. On today's episode, Brian and I sample the Distiller's Select Woodford Reserve Kentucky Straight Rye Whiskey. This is my first time drinking rye, and even at 45.2 alcohol by volume, it was one of the smoothest whiskeys we've sampled to date. There has been distilling on the Woodford Distillery site for more than 235 years, making it the oldest bourbon distillery in Kentucky. Since the beginning, the folks at Woodford have been influential in the development and codifying of bourbon production. They basically helped invent the spirit as we know it today. This particular Woodford rye is a Kentucky straight rye that's at least four years old, and its mash bill comes in at 53% rye, 33% corn, and 14% malt. The oddly precise numbers in the grain mix are evidence that they were focused more on the taste and less on the math. Thanks for joining us again today at the Whiskey Tapes, and let's get into the wood shop with Brian. Is it okay if we sit here? Is this a doable area? So let me explain what we're doing. <clears throat> so I do a podcast, which is like a radio show, essentially, and it's called The Whiskey Tapes. The whiskey is really just a, a lubrication for conversation. Uh, that being said, it's not, uh, I don't drink a, a lot. It's like a, a shot of whiskey in a glass. Um, it's exactly what it is, talking juice. That's, and that's, it's, it's a bit of an homage to my father, because um, I wanted to do it. He had cancer, and before he passed, I wanted to do it with him, because mm-hmm. um, he was a big whiskey drinker, but mostly he stuck with, like, Jack or whatever was cheap and available. Yeah. Um, so about a year later, uh, this past Christmas, Mar- Margaret got me uh, some glasses and some whiskey and a calendar, and she's like, go do this. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. <laughs> Today we have Woodford Reserve Kentucky Straight Rye Whiskey, which I've never had. I used to drink rye all the time. Uh, so I'm gonna pour. Did you? Want, I did bring ice. I don't know if you prefer ice or no ice. Yeah, I use yeah. All right, put a little ice. I get a lot of good things at the dump. Years ago, it was being cracked and never fixed it. And that's the big joke around here. If you want to know how to fix it, because I know I'm going to find somebody that can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Margaret furnished half our house, I think, from dump exploits or uh, something she found online. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have a good, um, I forgot who it was. Oh, um. What's his name that works at the dump? 
Donna? Nope, not Donna. Um, the other guy. Willie. Will, yeah. We saw his, uh, it was his uncle's house or something. And I think so, yeah. Getting rid of a bunch of stuff there. So Marta and I went over and went through it. And we got this stepping stool. And it's sol- it's got to be solid like oak or something, the, the top of it. But it's got a crack all the way through it. And I'm like, oh, I should just run like a bead of glue or something in there and clamp it. And she painted it, and the kids have been standing on it for three years. Really? <laughs> Nothing's happened, so I'm like, all right, knock on wood for that. <laughs> uh, I look at it all the time. I'm like, I need to put some glue in that. Um, so, so we're good. We're we're up and running. Um, the stuff we're drinking here is. I'm just gonna give you a blurb. So it's uh, Woodford Reserve Distillery in Kentucky. Uh, they've been around for 235 years. Um, blah, 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 blah. The reason, do you know why they call a rye whiskey a rye whiskey? I thought the rye was out of straight grain. So yeah, so the the rye has to be at least 53% of the mash bill. So if it's over 53%, then it's a rye. If it's under, it's usually like a corn-based type whiskey. Um, Mm. You want to try it? Yeah. Get a little bite on there. Cheers. That's pretty smooth. Yeah, that is pretty smooth. I wasn't expecting that. I know uh, I used to drink the Jim Bean rye. Mm-hmm. And that was like a little bit rough, but it was a lot smoother than a bourbon. Yeah. You know. I think I'm more used to the bourbons, yeah. Yeah. The bourbon is what is a corn mash, and so that is at least 50-something percent corn. That's how they... I didn't know any of this. I'm not a whiskey drinker. Isn't, so. isn't the bourbons usually a mix, too? It can be a blend, yeah. A blend, yeah. yeah. So you use a bunch of different whiskeys. I know Jim Bean had a straight rye whiskey, and that's what we used to We used to always have shots of that. Yeah. And then, back in the day? Yeah. Back in the day when my father went. Well, my father was being in World War II. You know, he's a, he was in a 100 bomb group. It was amazing. In World War II? World War wow. II. He was on B-17s. Yeah. And... He was in the Bloody Hundred, they called it. Yeah. And the reason it was the Bloody Hundred is because if a, if a if a airplane got you know shot up enough where they couldn't get back to the base, they put their landing gear down, and Germans would come in and escort them down. From that wow. point on, they're prisoner yeah. of war. Yeah. Well, I didn't even the Hundred Bomb Group, I guess. One of the planes was pretty well shot up. They put their wheels down, and Germans came in, and they figured out they could make it back. So they shot the Germans out of the sky, and they went home. Took off, yeah. So the Germans were pissed because that's that was the code. Yeah. You put your wheels down, you're done. Surrender, yeah. And uh, so my father was in that, and he told me the stories about he'd be in the airplane. He was in the All-American Girl. He was in a boy, he had such a great... I should write his story sometime, yeah. but anyways, he he told me about how he, uh, they'd go in, you know, because he'd have hundreds of planes just flying over there, and the Germans would bypass um, the newer planes, the newer ones being the silver ones, because yep. after a while, they didn't camouflage them anymore, and he had a camouflage plane, they'd, and they'd look on the tail for the big square D, and that was the bloody hundredth. Yeah. 
and they bypass the other planes and go to right go for, for them, them because yeah. they did the <laughs> they didn't honor the wow. <laughs> That's he was a tail gunner. Went on thirty six missions. Wow, and made it out to tell the story. Yeah, That's never great. got wounded or nothing. But he told me a lot of stories though. Ooh. Did he grow up here? He grew up in uh, Coventry, Rhode Island. Him and my mother both. Yeah. And then uh, he moved down here. I think it was 19... Well, he, he got a job at Electric Boat in 1953, and he moved down here in 1958 when they bought the place. Yeah. So. For a better drive. Yeah, that was a long haul. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how you do it. From Coventry, it's a long haul. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Well, I think I have to dispel the... The, it's not a myth, but I have to dispel the Rhode Islanders don't go any farther than like ten miles. Uh, <laughs> my mom it lives in Cumberland, so for her to come down here, she's only been down to North Swinton like three times. Um, it's just if it's not fifteen minutes away, it might as well be a. Bit, so. <laughs> it's a trip. Yeah, it's rough. Um, but but you grew up here uh, in this house. I was five years old when we moved here. And my mother fell in love with the place. She she wanted a place in the country. And I think my father, I mean, my mother and father, they were perfect parents as far as I'm concerned. You saw the love in them. They made decisions together. and and uh, That's nice to hear. It was, they were good role parents, you know. And Were they uh, strict with you? Did you? And you have two brothers? They were real strict, brothers? but I mean, when my father said something and told you to do something, yeah. you should do it. You listened to it, yeah. <laughs> My dad was the same way, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I trusted him. I mean, he taught me my work ethics. He, i never forget it. My first job at Barber Acres here. I was 14 when I got the job. And, and I had to get working papers. That's what cracked yeah. me up. I wish I saved those papers yeah. now. But I had to get permission. The paper, my mother and father had to sign. It was huh. okay for me to work. Yeah. And... Uh, but anyways, I, when it, you know, I asked my father. I, I never really worked for anybody. And I, what am I supposed to do? And he says, well, just listen to your boss. boss yeah, you know? yeah. And I, okay. And I did. And I, after that, it was easy. Yeah. You know? And uh, he said, oh, he just... And then even with a job, you know, everybody was pushing me, you know, because, oh, you got to go to college. You got to go to college. Why? <laughs> I, I don't want to go to college, you know, and I just like working. So I, I did the uh, Arboricus for two years, and then I went down George Hewitt's, which is a furniture place. Yep. And I couldn't run the machines because I was under 18. Yeah. So. Was anyway. that like a, like a state thing or a federal thing, or was that just at Hewitt they didn't want you to touch them until you were 18? No, you couldn't. You couldn't, couldn't run the machines. machines. Yeah, because you had to be eighteen. I think it was insurance purposes myself. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I could run a sander. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I could strip the furniture, which I did. That's part of my smell is gone because of that. Yeah. But, How long were you there for? You know, which I worked. Let's see. I worked. Was it seven years? Because I went through an apprenticeship there, furniture yeah. making apprenticeship. That's awesome. And that was 8,000 hours. It was four years. So I finished that. Wow. And, uh, and he taught me the love of work, and that's what he taught me. I mean, he also taught me how to think about woodworking. Mm -hmm. you know, when you go down and pick out wood, this is what you look for. Mm -hmm. You know, in the rough, because yeah. we used to pick it out in the rough. 
and uh, I just had a knack for it, and and he he brought it out in me, you know. So then, of course, and I got married, and I had a kid, and then money got tight. Yeah. My father was down an electric boat, and, and they were hiring, and he had done a favor for a big guy down there, Steregard, Mr. Steregard. And uh, he showed him my resume, and Steregard, <laughs> I think he was Dutch. <laughs> Your son can do all that? <laughs> What's he doing? What's he not doing here? Yeah. So he, he he went up to the pattern shop and he told the boss in the pattern shop, you hire this man in. Nice. Yeah. So I got hired in the pattern shop. How old were you when you started there? At uh, 22. Okay. And, uh, but I was only supposed to be in the pattern shop for three months and then go to the joiner shop. Yeah. Well, in that three months, the pattern makers liked the way I worked and the way I thought. Yeah. And they, they asked me if I wanted to take an apprenticeship. I said, God sakes, I've already taken an apprenticeship. <laughs> says, I know how to run your machines and things. So they credited me, I think they started me off in the third year, because that was a 10,000 hour apprenticeship. Yeah, yeah. That was state. Wow. And I says, okay. So I went in the third year, and I still made more money. Oh, they were mad. The joiners down there were mad, because, you know, they thought they were going to go up in the pattern shop. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, I joined the Pattern Makers Union, and, and uh, I took the apprenticeship. So I, I finished that apprenticeship. So I had two apprenticeships, and which I feel is equivalent to college education. Cause I learned Absolutely. from the old-timer. When an old-timer comes up to you and he looks at you and he says, you see that? He shows you half a thumb. Yeah. You're going to ask him, how'd that happen? Yeah. He says, don't run a three-by-three three piece of plexiglass between the saw. Yeah, yeah. He says, he, that's what he did, and it came off to his Well noted. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's the thing is, like, uh, even the kids that are going to school right now are coming out, and because there's no experience, they have to do some sort of apprenticeship or internship or whatever, and they just spend all this money on college. So it's like, well, what did you do yeah. while you were there? Um it's tough, but I, I feel like you, what you're saying, like you're coming, uh, you were bringing skills to the job because you had already taken the time to learn them. Yeah, well, I, I just couldn't see. My mother and father said they were going to take a loan out against their house to send me For to school. college, yeah. and I'm saying, suppose I go to college and I don't like it. Mother and father's on the hook for $50,000. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. going to do that. Plus, I was I was earning money while I was learning. Yeah, I figured that was a win win to me. Yes, you know. Was your dad or anyone else in your family uh, like a carpenter? Or? My dad was a machinist. Yeah. Um, when he got out of the service, he went into uh, airplane mechanics. He was a darn good mechanic. That's what he was doing at EB. All right. Well, he he worked in the he worked in Department One Hundred Five, the torpedo tubes. Okay. Because he was, my father was a very short man, and uh, but he could get in them torpedo tubes yeah. and drill, and he, he could figure things out and make things right. You know, they he was good at what he did. Good. And my brother uh, Doug, same way, yeah. Douglas, he was a machinist. He is a machinist, I should say, and uh, he just took after my father. And I mean, he's got 
he's got some of the things running. I said, I don't know what's wrong with it. And he'd take it and get it running for me. Yeah. And that's the type of yeah. guy he is. I can't see that. Like my father was, yeah. you know. And I'm the woodworker. Yeah, I can do it with wood. Yeah. I can do okay with wood. Yep. Uh, engines and stuff, forget it. It's, yeah. uh, Margaret actually is better at taking those apart and putting them back together. <laughs> I can do a little, but it, I'm not to the degree my brother and my father could yeah. do. You know, they were just... There's something to be said about the trades. And that's one of the things that bothers me sometimes. I, I, in fact, I graduated back in 71 from Wheeler. Yep. And uh, we had quite a... We only had a small class, 50-some. And, uh, but most of us took up a trade. We got Tommy Bueller, he's a plumber, he's done a lot of plumbing. Cadillac, he's really good. Um, Brian Crandall, he does post and beams. Yep. Man, that That's guy good is work. good, cuts his own wood. He's going to be building that place over there for me. And, uh, I had written a thing to the, because every year they give out a, um, Scholastic Award? Yeah, and they yeah. have the plaques up there. Well, mm -hmm. you read them. Everybody went to college, 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 and okay. But, they, and I, I think they ought to have something up there for, how about the guys that went to trades? We got we got people that come out of that school, excellent welders, you know. Yep. Um, a lot of them. And they don't recognize that. And I know it's because the big push is, Technology See, you go to college, and then you get a job like that. Yeah. But that's rare. Yeah. And, and most people are, uh, by the time you get out of college, uh, the people you graduated with that are in the trades are making what you'd be making, you know, what you no, hope to be are, making. Yeah. Um, and you still have all this debt now to, from well, the school. Well, that's the problem. So they have to try to get yes. one of them big debt jobs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, th and those are hard to come by. Like, it's not a, it's not a great economy for those things. Yeah. Uh, that's why I was mentioning the school, because uh, they're moving, because the, they're doing the building and stuff, someone said, I don't know if it's true or not, that they were not moving the wood shop. And I go back and forth on it because I work for a technology company, so I understand the importance or what the future is for those types of jobs like mm. coding or whatever. But not everyone is that way. And yeah. in the end, you still need someone to build a cabinet for somebody or fix someone's plumbing or someone who is a uh, accomplished welder. Uh, mm -hmm. Like those are things you still you're still gonna need regardless of how technology progresses, um, and it's it's a damn shame that we haven't figured out how to balance those things. To your point, how do you celebrate that? Yeah. When you get to the end of, of school, someone else mentioned also uh, they don't give awards outside of like the the normal like acknowledgement for people that are going into the services. So if someone's going into the military, they don't get the same accolades that someone going to you know. Yukon gets exactly, and that's crazy. Yeah. Um, I ended up getting an uh, industrial arts award. I didn't take. I I was required to take woodworking in eighth grade at Wheeler. At Wheeler, yeah. and then when we got to high school, I think I I don't know. I don't think I took it at all in high school. I took drafting, and uh, because you had a and peacock by themselves. They had a, um, you bought your own wood and you put it over here in the corner, you go back, it's gone. Oh, at school? Yeah. 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 So it was ridiculous. I, I ain't going to do that. So I took drafting, and, and then they ended the drafting. They didn't have drafting one wow. year, and yeah. the, an industrial arts teacher, Mr. Aiello, 
I said, they're not offering it. I, I'm not, I don't want to take shop. I said, I don't, I'm not interested in it. And uh, he went up and talked. Yeah, that was when you could talk to the principals. And, yeah, and he, yeah. It was his time, to, the smoking lounge for the teachers. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. And he says, I trust Brian, and I can go before the class, you know, be, when it starts, if he has any questions, get him going, and then I'll go back at the end. He's perfectly fine by himself. You know, he trusted me. Yeah. And, that's great. And they allowed that. Yeah. They allowed that. And that's that. a big, like, a, that's a big confidence booster for someone that's young, that's trying to get, mm -hmm. you know, trying to decide those things. Yeah. Uh, you don't see it, that anymore. Well, they always ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they push at you and push at you. And then they say, oh, you got to go to college. Well, I always looked at, my father always told me, I said, what? Dad, I said, they're pushing me, trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. I'm a kid. Right, right. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. He says, well, whatever you decide, he says, make sure you like doing it. Because yes. you're going to do it a long time. Yeah. And I don't see that nowadays. I see kids going to college, and they, it, I, I hear them, they go to a job. And, oh, I hate this job. Yeah. Hate Chasing this a paycheck. Job. Yeah. 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 And it, what good is that? Yeah. <laughs> It's it's tough because I know so I I was the last of three kids and my brother and sister both had a rough start. They had fun when they went to college. So by the time it got to me, my parents were like, "You can go wherever you want, but you're gonna you're gonna finish it and you're gonna do." Um, I think I wanted to go to URI or something, and they were like, "No, no, no, you're gonna go to like Rhode Island College first, and you're gonna start there until you decide what you want to do." So I went and um, about halfway through or it was a junior year, and I was like, hey, I'm going to go back, but I want to take a quarter off and do, um, or a semester off, and go to a trade school in Georgia. And I learned how to build and repair guitars, acoustic guitars and electric guitars. And it was something that I was into music, and I could work with my hands and play with wood. And they were like, sure, I guess, if you want to go do that, but you have to finish school. So I came back. I worked as a guitar luthier for a few months before going back to school. Um, but it sort of married what I was doing. Like mm -hmm. I was learning stuff. I was do keeping my parents happy by going to school, but also <laughs> making sure I, I got my hands on some wood um, and got to play with that stuff. Because um, that's what was in your heart. Yeah, yeah. And that's something I, I feel like I'm still chasing to this day. Like I, I joke that my retirement plan is just sanding wood, but the, the real ask is how do I do that now or sooner than later? so that I can step away from whatever I'm doing mm -hmm. these days, you know. But it's, it's hard to make a, a, if you're not doing like a contractor business, um, how do you make a living on it? At woodworking. You know? Yeah. 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 I was fortunate um, because the pattern making, a lot of people don't even know what pattern making is anymore, but the pattern making was like, it was the Cadillac of woodworking. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was like a machinist of woodworking. We had to know... We had to know machinist practice. Yep. We had to know how to read blueprints. You know, we had to redraw what the draftsman drew because we used shrink rulers. Yep. So we had to know, you know, how to draw, uh, do drafting. Um, but the the biggest challenge was the tolerances they held us to. Right. You know, and and, and that was so much fun. I mean, when you gotta you gotta have a big casting, and you gotta have a just a half inch 
wall all the way around on the inside, you know, and you got to hold that tolerance when you make the core box and when you make the pattern. Yep. It, it, because those pieces were going into subs and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like being recast in metal. Yeah. That's crazy. And, uh, I mean, we had a machine down there. Oh, my God. It makes me sick to think of it. Because when, when Electric Boat decided to get rid of the foundry, I was a business manager. And I told Electric Boat, I said, you close that foundry, you'll never be able to open it again. Yeah. And they closed it. Well, they do have a foundry up in Bath, Maine, but this one didn't. This one did nickel copper. It did copper. Uh, uh, was it copper aluminum? They did all kinds of different metals they could do down there, and and they were grandfathered in. The state yeah. would have left them alone. Yeah. But they just wanted electric boat. Just an assembly area now. Yeah. They don't build the pots. Right. And uh, so that. And then, of course, when the computer come out with the... Because we used to make a lot of models. Yeah, the I stuff you were showing me. Down at... Uh, um, and I couldn't... I wasn't even allowed in there because I only had a green badge. It was had to have For a red security badge. stuff? Security. Yeah. yeah. We built... The engineers would come down. Oh, we want... We got this idea for a submarine. Can you make this model? I said, yeah. So I could make the model at EB, but as soon as they brought it down in Washington... I couldn't go in the room. Yeah. So I couldn't go. Yeah. And I said, this is so stupid. <laughs> on the reactor, I, I did a, I helped do a model on a reactor, but <clears throat> they said, you can't work on a reactor, you've got a green badge. So they called it a birthday cake. I could work on a birthday cake, but I couldn't Not work on the it. reactor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just stupid stuff, you know. That's hilarious. That was like a reactor for a sub? Yeah. 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 That's crazy. We built, I got pictures of it somewhere. I should have tried to dig. I don't even know where the book is anymore. We did for the uh, 688s, we did a complete half model out of plexiglass. That was a lot of fun. And then we made the molds on the submarine. If you look at a submarine, it has the little the little bump that goes from the front to the back yep. for, the, for, the, for the sonar. And... I didn't know that's what that was for. Yeah, and anyway, they, we built all the molds for that in, in down there. Yeah. That, that was fun because it had to take, you know, we had to lay it all out full size, and then we had to take from there over to here and here over here to get the right curve, and but that was a lot of fun. And, you know, I mean, it was fun jobs. Yeah. It yeah. made you think. Did they, because of the precision involved, and you mentioned the high tolerance required. Did you have to remake things a lot for them? I didn't have to make a lot. Um, most of the plans that they sent us were pretty straightforward. Uh, the tolerance, like I said, there was one machine down there. It had a dial like that, and it had a line on it. Of course, there's a line here. You take that dial and go just like that. One turn, yeah. that's a 64th of wow. an inch. Wow. And when you run that cutter, if you had to do that 64th, you couldn't even see the dust coming off. I'm sure, yeah. You know, and it kind of scary. I mean, the blade was right there in front of you. <laughs> I'm saying, whoa. And that machine, I had to have special training because it was a machine. The blade turned right here in front of you. No guard, no nothing. Yeah. 
and then you had a, a turntable that you could turn. So with it spinning this way and you could turn it, when you stopped the machine, it still looked like it was moving. Yeah. And uh, you had to train your brain to... Turn it off. Don't worry about yeah, that. Yeah, You know? That's funny. But Dude. it was. And they scrapped that machine. They threw it in the... A lot of the machines went right in the, right in the scrap metal. Yeah. And I said, oh, my God. Those... those uh, that's an original pattern maker's... Uh, vice right yeah. there and uh, they threw about 30 some of them in the trash Whew. if I, I've been looking those up online you hundreds of dollars yeah like just yeah to, and they're smaller and that, and that guy is in great shape <laughs> these are all beat up and I've I bought it from an it. old timer when I built my shop he says you're gonna you're gonna need a, a vice I says yeah he says well I got an Emmett you do? How much you want? He says, 25 bucks. I couldn't get it out of my... <laughs> I got Okay. That's great. That's great. Do you... Yeah. Uh, so how long were you at Electric Boat for? Uh, 26 years. And then you mentioned you also were... Did you go to Sonalist from there? I went to Sonalist. Well, I, what happened is that once they closed, uh, the steward didn't fight very hard to keep that foundry open. And he brought his son in, and he brought his son's friend, and neither one of them should have been woodworking at all. Right, right. And that's where the that's where the uh, I felt the apprenticeships and the because it was a proud craft when I was there. Yeah, I mean, you were proud to be you. I felt something special when I was a pattern maker. I said, wow, you know, these guys didn't care. Yeah, you know, and his father was a steward. And I went up to his father and I said, you know, if I had brought my son in like you did yours, I'd tell him, you go get a job somewhere else because you're not pattern making material. Well, of course, I guess, you know, you tell your father like that. that, that's yeah. not good. Yeah. So then, then, it, then, it, then when we didn't have any work, it just turned into a crazy thing. And finally I said, you know, uh, I don't, I'm not even going to be part of you guys anymore. You know, they started picking on me. I mean, I got I got a lot of the patterns because I knew what to do, and and then when I started, I was the only one they ever gave the plaques to to do because I had the patience to put each letter on. Yeah. And uh, so you're doing all the work. <laughs> well, basically yeah. for the for the the close work. Yeah. And and, and this kid's sitting over in the corner, or he's out in the back playing cards. Right. I was saying, what do I do with this? So I thought, you know what, I, I don't even want to be part of it. So I quit the union. Of course, when you quit the union, then they, they start messing with you. And I got, and EB wasn't doing nothing about it. So I said, you know what? I went to the big boy. I said, why don't you lay me off? So they laid me off, which was rare because yeah. I had seniority. Yeah. And I said, okay. I went to a job shop pattern shop. I worked for them for a while, Jimmy Case, and but I worked for him part time anyways when I was when I was working for Electric Boat. I leave Electric Boat. Jimmy was down the road. I went there, get out of there at seven. So that worked out good. The extra money I needed. Yeah. Then I went to uh, Sonalist. Well, I went in business for myself for two years, and I found out. Ew, 
I don't know how anybody can go in business in the state of Connecticut or in the town of yeah. North Stonington. Yeah. They started charging me for everything. Yes. And I said, well, I did that for two years, and I said, well, that's enough of that. So then I went to Sonalist. I was still in business, but they called me up. Yep. I went through my business with them. So then when they saw how I worked, they asked me if I wanted to be an employee. I said, okay. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so I worked for them for 13 years. Oh, wow. Okay, so you were there for a while. And uh, I had shoulder surgery, and uh, I couldn't go back to work because it, it got all messed up in there. I got frozen shoulder. Well, I'm not good for sh surgeries because they, they did that, and I was just going out with Pam at the time, and... I was home and grapes. I couldn't I hardly get out of bed. I had a major blood clot in my lung. So I almost died. So from I, the surgery? From the surgery. Wow. So and I ended up in the hospital. So then when I come out of there, of course, my shoulder froze up because I'm in the hospital. With a, with a, so then now I can't move my arms. I'm going through physical therapy. They're trying to get it going. Well, it took two years, and I still wasn't good yeah. to go back. Wow. So after two years, Sonorous retired me. Yeah. And that was it. So I said, okay. That's, that was when I was 58. So I've been retired ever since. But I can do this. You know, I have to, I can't do it constant, but I can get down here. And yeah. Like and you're working at your own pace. or you Well, that's, that's the big thing. I don't yeah. have to get up like early in the morning, make sure the chickens are ready, make sure this is ready. And then, Go across New London Bridge, drive yes. across yes. there. Oh, fight the traffic. So it was kind of, it was kind of, it's kind of a blessing actually that it happened. You know, the good Lord watches over me, and so that's basically the story. But I had a lot of interesting jobs. That's one thing I can say. And then you, how long have you and Pam been together? Seven years. It's seven now, I think. And you were married before. Yeah, I've been married a couple, a few times. Do you have, how many children do you have? I got two. I got one. Uh, my my uh, oldest boy just got married, again, uh, Jason. And uh, my younger boy, Aaron, he, uh, he went in the Marines. I think he was 18 when he went in. He's been in them ever since. Oh, still there. Great. Yeah, he's, he's well. He's, what did he just turn? He just turned 42, I think. So he's got quite a few years in. Yeah. My friend just got out of the Marines. He was in um, EOD, and he started right after high school. So he's, he just got out 20 years in the Marines. And it was a, it was a long haul for him. But, but yeah. You know. I don't know how anybody can do it for 20 years in the Marines. He was saying, like, he, he's like, I'd keep going, but even like the basic uh, physical training He's like, I got these kids that are 18 that I'm up against sometimes. You know, he's like, I'm a sergeant, but still, this is crazy. Um, does And was Pam married before? Yeah. yeah. Does she have any kids? She's got three. Yeah. yeah. Good kids, too. They, it's funny because when Pam and I got married, you know, you always write things and everybody wants to know what the story is. And she wrote down it. Yeah. I think me, my three kids like my... 
like Brian better than they do me. If there was ever a divorce, it'd go with him. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, they... no, her and I, it's funny. We would have never got together. I mean, we were friends in high school. We graduated together. And, but uh, then we met at the 50th, uh, what was it, 40th or 50th? 40th, I guess it was, reunion we had. And we just started going out only because we were on the same committee and then we started talking and that was it. It works. That's great. <laughs> it works. That's great. Was she in town the whole time too? No, she lived in Colchester most okay. of the time. Yeah. Well, she lived in Hartford and then Colchester, but I've always lived here. Margaret said you guys um, are still like newlyweds <laughs> in that year because you've only been because you've been together for only seven years or so. But I know Pam said that you gave her a star for yeah. Yeah, uh, it was on um, you know of course the computer thing. I'm starting to learn that. Yeah, me too. So I get on, <laughs> I got on the, they got me on the Facebook thing, which I think is great. Because I can talk to my grandchildren, I can talk to my sons, you know. See what everybody's and, up to, yeah. Yeah, and, and it don't have to be a, I mean, I, I get tired of the nastiness I see on there, but um, it's nice because you can, you can get on there, but, oh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, we're talking about the star. Oh, yeah, and it was on there one time, uh, a star. And her birthday's on the 16th of December. So she gets ripped off at Christmas. Yes, you know? yes. So Margaret's uh, uh, January 9th, so it's... Okay, well, yeah. yeah. It is. We've got a Christmas <laughs> around, yeah. Save a Christmas present mm-hmm. and give it. Mm-hmm. So I said, i got to do something special. And I'm known, I'm known for buying a gift that's different. So I bought her a star. And it's funny because she... I didn't think of it till after. I said, she says, that might be expensive. I says, well, I didn't buy the brightest one. <laughs> I said, I bought a nice one, but I couldn't afford the brightest. <laughs> but I did see it one night out here. I tried to get her to come out, but it was cold that night. Yeah. But I do want to take her down. To, I want to try to get it, because they send you a paper of the coordinates of the star and everything on that date that you got it. I've, I've seen that. It's a poster. Yeah. With uh, all the info. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. That's cool. So yeah, I figured if I take that down here, they can put them coordinates in yeah. on a certain date. Yeah. We should be able to see that star. That's really cool. I, I saw that once, and I was going to get it from Margaret for like our, um, when we got engaged or, or whatever. Haven't done that. That's great. Apparently she really liked it. Uh, Margaret also wanted me to ask you about, she said, I had, you had to tell me the story about when your mom had a goat and your dad came home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, my mom, like I say, my mom fell in love with this place. She loved animals. She wanted a place where she could have animals. And you never knew. My mother was nine years younger than my father, but... She was a great person. And so I'll never forget it. My father, he's working, you know, and he, he comes home and comes to the door and 
And I remember my mother saying, your father's home. Okay. So now you got to tell him. <laughs> she goes to the door. And she's standing at the door, and my father comes to the door, and my mother said, I bet you should never guess what I got today. He says, a white goat. How'd you know, she says. Because he's on the roof. <laughs> it jumped on the roof, and it was on top of the roof when my father came home. That sounds, uh, that's definitely going to happen to me and Margaret at some point. <laughs> She's uh, been vying for goats and cows and horses and chickens since we got here. That was actually the, when we first met. We'd been at work, but I asked her, I'm like, so what's your ideal uh, situation like with, with um, whatever, the person you end up with. And she's like, well, I want a gentleman's farm. And I was like, I have no idea what that is. And she's like, basically, you have a bunch of animals, but you don't really, you're not really a farmer, and they're right. just cute to have. And I'm like, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> it's a lot of work. But yeah, it sounds it, like a lot of work. It's, it's, it's relaxing. I mean, you saw your kids yesterday yeah. with the chickens. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. Yes. And we always had, uh, we always had like dogs and cats growing up, but like my dad and his family, like they had chickens and, Stuff like that. So I know it's an inevitable thing, but I'd like to get all the kids walking maybe before. I think that's probably my threshold. That's probably a good idea. Yeah, I can't stop her. <laughs> She's gonna. I'll just come home and we'll be a goat on the roof at some point. I know. Um, so you built. We're in the workshop. When did you build the workshop? Uh, Nineteen eighty nine. And you built it all yourself. Yeah, I had help with. Well, my sons helped a little bit. My nephew helped some. But all the uh, the wood the wood pot and everything, I I kind of figured that out. Yep. Just rough sketch, and and then I tongue and grooved everything. And I didn't do the pins; I did the bolts, as you see. Yep. And uh, did you buy all the wood for this, or yeah. did it come from? Yeah, the everything from my pocket. <laughs> I, I did meet our Margaret met a guy at the dump, and he's like, you know, I got all my wood from my shed from this dump, <laughs> and I've been looking, but I don't see any wood that good that I would build a whole shed. Nah, no, nah, I got this mostly from Thompsons. Yeah, um, I used to call them up. Say, I need so many hundred board feet of pine this size, and they'd come up and deliver it. And I got pictures. I like I say, I don't have the, I don't even know where my books are, but in fact that. That axe over there is what I use to shave the, the tongues with. Wow. And uh, then I had, I made a plexiglass thing so I could lay out, you know, where the tongues go in. And I drilled down through the end and I had a big chisel and I chiseled them all. It didn't take really that long. You just got to, being all, it was all green wood at the time, yes. so it cut pretty nice. Yeah. Awesome. I remember these these babies putting them up, man. And when I when I would nail or whatever, like I nailed in the the, the uh, braces. Yep. And you hit it with a hammer, and you just spit back at you because it was so wet. <laughs> yeah. You know? I'm sure it's dry now. Yeah. It all. I mean, it all set really well. It's pretty great. And the foundation was all. Field stone that I hauled from over there, and I washed them. I was, I think, I was thirty-eight when I built this place, somewhere around there. 
prime of your life. That's the best time of your life when you're 38. I'm 39, so if you just missed it, <laughs> I'm on the downslope. No, you're at a good part of your life. Yeah. It's the best part. You're already, you're already established in your job. You got a family, and you, you, you're probably the Cadillac of, of your trade or whatever yeah. you do for a living. Yeah. You know, you, you know it. You can go in there and not have to. Oh, I don't know what I got to do next. Yes. I know what I got to do. Yes, that's what I'm saying about when it's you're true. 38 or so. That is a good feeling. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's a good feeling. You're not dependent on somebody else as far as, oh, what do I do here, you know? That's what I loved about woodworking, you know? I got to the point where I can, okay, you want what? Okay, yeah, we can do that somehow. <laughs> so that that's actually a great question. So you, by, by your DNA, is to be a maker, uh, something that I feel like is sorely lacking in society these days. Um, as you're building things for other people, uh, what is something that you want to build for yourself? Well, I, boy, I've, I've got a lot of ideas. I, when I was 17, I had all kinds of ideas. I, I figured I'm going to do something different. And one of the things I keep thinking about, right, maybe I'll do it, maybe I'll do it with something different. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end up making a, um, what do they call it? Carousel horse. But I'm going to do a small version, and but most of those horses are hollow inside, so it's all wasted space. So I'm going to make yes. it so if if a kid has a put something in it. Yeah. Um, years ago, I saw a picture of a uh, a tiger desk. Some guy had made, huh. and I said, "Boy, wouldn't it be neat to make an elephant desk? Because it'd be bigger, more room." Yeah. Make it so the side would come down and maybe make, you know, like a desk. Yeah, like a secretary And then have drawers in the, in the elephant, yeah. you know, pot and stuff like that. So That's I'm really cool. Kind of outside the box. Yeah. I've always thought outside the box anyways. So um, things like that. And, and I'm hoping to use some of the mahogany I got up yeah. there. Because I bought that. The guy had died and he had that. I don't know, he must have had that awful long time, and he probably thought the same thing. I'm going to wait for that special project. He didn't make it. And I, don't, I don't want to do the same thing. No, you don't, you don't want to be handing off the wood post, uh, yeah. I want to use it. It's yes. nice. It's beautiful mahogany. Great. Is there, I, is there anything that you could teach me in five minutes that I'm not aware of? I like to ask people that question. Hard to say. I don't know what you know. <laughs> uh, what is your... Uh, let me think. Do you... What is your preferred method of staining and sealing? So are you going to seal this? Well, I'll put a finish on it after. How are you going to finish it? Well, I, I've, I've been thinking about it I like I'd like to put um, shellac on it first because that's a good sealer, and then I could and then I could just spray it. Um, I really like to spray lacquer on it, but I'm not set up. 
I mean, my finishing room's out there, and I gotta, I gotta set up my whole finishing room again. And I could spray lacquer, but I'll probably just end up spraying a um, uh, shellac for a, for a, for a sealer, and I'll probably just uh, spray a urethane over it. And you brush on the shellac? I'll probably spray it. You'll spray it if I if I can find it. You know, if I can get a deal on the shellac. I mean, I've been using some spray shellac. Been working pretty good. Do you ever tint it? I don't tint it. I use the amber, and just with the natural wood, it'll tint with yeah. itself. Yeah. You know, a lot of people ask me when I do a cherry piece for people. They, I mean, cherry, you should really put a seal or a toner on it, actually, and then spray it. But that's what the furniture places do. I usually just finish it up, and you have the highs and lows. Yep. But after a few years, it mellows, it out. mellows out. Yeah. And I'm glad you used that because I tell people um, when I build a piece, I says, oh, yeah, I said, it looks old. Wait, it mellows. Mellow? What do you mean mellow? You know, yes. but you know, it, it, you it have all to starts let to let it sit. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I know that because my uncle, who was a guitar player, uh, my dad's side, also was a woodworker and he had, <clears throat> he didn't move very much. He had polio and, had a, a limp, um, but he was an astonishing woodworker. And I remember in my in my nana's garage, he would have he had all the planers and all the tools and everything. But they took down a cherry tree, and I have the table in my living room right now, and it's a slab of cherry uh, that could probably be refinished. But he made like six or seven tables. So it was a coffee table and a bunch of end tables. The end tables are shellacked, and over time, the shellac has ambered out a little bit and you can see the wood perfectly under it it's beautiful mm -hmm. um and i think he just maybe put a little polyurethane on the on the uh, desktop uh the whatever coffee table um but the kids have destroyed it so i have to refinish it but it's <laughs> it's it's interesting to see how when i first saw the tables when i was younger to now how it aged uh and it was very nice yeah i i uh, the first time i really saw that was like when I was stripping furniture for Hewitt and you would take the hardware off. Yeah. Underneath looked like like brand new, yes. you know, and then the rest of it's all mellowed in and yeah. patina and everything else. So how would you take if you were refinishing something like that and it had shellac on it, what's the best way to strip it? Like serious chemicals or sanding or both? I've always used the serious chemicals, but uh, with a varnish they got all kinds of stuff now that they even take varnish off. Um, I've always used methylene chloride. Okay. Worst thing you can use, but I did find some. It was at Home Depot. I was surprised to see it in there. Yeah. I didn't think you could use it, but I put that on and, and I do it right outside. And I, I use my Tide. I still use my Tide, my steel wool. I put it on there, and I scrape off what I can, and I wash it right down, and I hit it with a hose with cold water, and that neutralizes everything, and it comes out fine. Yeah, I, yeah. and it doesn't damage I the wood at all? I got anything here that I stripped lately. I think that's stripped. Yeah, that was stripped when I got it. Um, but it doesn't do anything to the wood. Like nothing, no, nothing no, that's I mean, you don't want it, you gotta definitely wash it off with soap and hot water and then 
squirt it down with cold water. And it kind of neutralized everything. Cool. I'll have to try that. I do it a lot. Uh, I can mess with a lot of guitar stuff, but I see a lot of neck breaks, so I have to... Uh, I can repair the break. I can um, sand it smooth and make it look like the crack is not there on, on unfinished wood, but mm-hmm. matching an existing stain and finish is like that's an art to itself for me so it it's, is, it is. it's it's i know practice makes perfect but it's like every time you're using a different color against a different thing so you don't you're not really there's no method to it you're just it's a crapshoot to make sure you can match the things there's one guy i never forget it i met him when i was down at sawnwest and we had to match something and i he was from hartford i don't even remember his name now but he he worked for a company that that's what they did yeah. to match things and I don't know how he did it but he matched it perfect yeah and then when I was at Hewitt's there was another guy I don't even know if Warren's alive still or not he was a deaf mute Warren yeah and uh, God he could match he could match anything it's it's an art to itself yeah, yeah. he was good and. I I just get things close. Yeah, that's pretty. I and that's where I have to let my my OCD, <laughs> you know, yeah. slide off and be. Oh, like, otherwise yeah. it'll drive you crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I feel like it will bother me more than a client in the end. Yeah. Uh, but you always will get a client who's like, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> so I tried to get as close. I'm as not possible. sure how they can do that now. I don't know what to do with it. I I do the best I can, and I feel like most people just throw it away and buy a new one, and that's the. Yeah, but some of the old woodworking is really, you know, I mean, really nice. And I know the the factories years ago used to, well, that's why they went to tint. Uh, We used to use toner a lot. Yep. Um, To strip? Just to to get the colors even. Oh, really? Especially on uh, cherry. Yeah. We used to spray a toner. It was like a, a watered down... I got some here. Some I haven't used it in years, but yeah, it, it made almost everything even. So when you stained it, it didn't suck into the wood, the pots that yeah. were dark. Yeah. That's a good call, actually. And then uh, the um, I don't know. It was, just, it was just crazy the way Warren would spray that on. It ain't even close to the color. You go back the next day and it's all evened up. Yeah. Do you, uh, so I've been ending a lot of my podcasts of a political nature. Um, what are your thoughts on President Trump? I think it's good. I like him simply because it's about time we got somebody to shake up the troops. You know? And and I and I read about how they they say oh he did this wrong did that wrong. Well, all the little things they're trying to do and none of them's panning out. Sure, people are quitting and this and that. Yeah, yeah. He's lost. Let him let him quit. What I care about is, I think Trump really loves America, and I think you're going to see the jobs come back here. I really do. From overseas, I mean, there's a lot the of the big companies went overseas for the yeah. cheap labor, but it, it, yes. is the quality there? Mm. 
No, but I don't know that the but the materials are there, and I think that's the other problem. Yeah, we used to have materials here. That's what I'm saying. We, we had the big steel mills. We had the, the great big foundries uh, down in Pittsburgh, and uh, and of course uh, Michigan. Yep. You know it, yeah. those guys were all craftsmen. Yep. Craftsmen. Real. It, 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 you know, you can look at a blueprint and say, okay, this part's supposed to fit to there. But if it doesn't fit, what do you do? Oh, we got to go back to the engineer. No, you don't. Figure out how to make that fit. <laughs> yeah. So many times down an electric boat, I'm sure the pipe hangers, if they, they got a pipe coming here and it's over here, not quite there, we'll take that hanger off and we can move it over, we can line it up, boom. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's what's missing, I think. But politically, I think Trump is on the right track, and I think I think the rest of people got to get on the right track and just say, he's our president, let's support him, instead of instead of trying to tear him down all the time. Enough people trying to tear America down, never mind Do us. you think he... I don't know if you follow the things he says on... Twitter and things like that, but are he's you... He's not a good speaker. Right, he's not a great speaker. Um, but you could say that, I mean, um, George Bush was not a great speaker, uh, the son, but um, he did a lot of things for the country. Um, I don't know that I've seen that return on investment for Donald just yet, but mm-hmm. um, he's only been in there for a little while. So. Fair enough, fair yeah. enough. I mean, they... I just believe the American flag, and and he's an American. He he could use some polish on the way he says things, but yeah, um, yeah. I, I think I think if people just okay, let's let's give him a chance. Give him a chance to. I mean, yeah, the Korean thing that ain't gonna it ain't gonna get eased oh, the, up for a long time North Korea yeah yeah, that ain't that's gonna be a long time they, they but he did get farther uh, you know than anyone right. else has at this point just like yeah. Richard Nixon did he, yeah. when he went to China <laughs> that didn't work out well for him either in the end <laughs> um, do you think that do you think that we will um, come together as a country? Not unless not unless people really start thinking about the values of America again. How would you what are the values that you are most connected to? Well, the values I like is well, the one that bothered me the most is when they took God out of school. You can't speak about God anywhere. I wouldn't be here going for God. Right. And Nobody's going to convince me any different. Jesus loves you. I saw that up there. Yeah. That I wrote when my father was dying in the hospital. I brought that in because he, he couldn't. Oh, so I wrote yeah. that on there. I said, Jesus sure. loves you. Yeah. And I wrote on the other side, so do I. Oh. And my father went like well, that. Well, that's a tear that. <laughs> and And... And I've seen the miracles in my life that God has done. And, yeah. and that's what, you know, just the morals in America has changed so much. I mean, everybody wants rights. And 
I don't want to get on the gay thing, but I, it, to me, it's morally wrong. God didn't make us that way. But it, it, they've gotten it now, so that's the way it is. I don't mean I hate the gay thing. Yeah. I just don't like the sin. And people don't want to look at things as sin. If people would look in the mirror at themselves and say, how have I sinned? Yes. You might take a different look. I know I'm a sinner. <laughs> yeah, me too. And I don't have no problem drink, saying that, that. But you yeah. ask some of them, oh, no. I think I fundamentally disagree with some of those things. Mm-hmm. But also, talking about values, American values, like um, when I grew up, um, we're free. My parents, well, I don't think we're entirely free because, especially now, like post 9 11, there's a lot of things the government did, was able to do, overreaching, that I think we, as a society, allowed them to overreach on. And to pull back is hard. Um, yes. But just the basic things, like my dad and my mom taught me to be truthful, have integrity. Um, get what you work hard for, be honest, um, you know, basic things like character goes a long way. Um, and, and I feel like there's a lot of things, especially in a capitalist society where money drives a lot of the, can, can drive a lot of the problems Mm -hmm. or a lot of the opportunity. Um, there's a lot of that greed and distrust. And I think that has eroded some of those values. I don't think blowing up the banks or um, overhauling everything is is the answer. I think there has to be like a middle ground there. Far left and far right is is not the answer. But there's oh, uh, I agree. How do you how do you serve everyone? Uh, well, that's the thing. You can't make everybody happy. But I think you hit a good point there with the greed. Everybody gets greedy, you know. I mean, you get you get a when you get a group of people that say, "Okay, this is what we want. We'll go after this." Okay, they're not gonna anybody in their way. They're gonna push aside. Yeah. They're not gonna listen to. Them. Yeah. They got the greed to get what they want, and that greed is a sin. I mean, it, it's just terrible, and and. But if you can't teach kids that, or if you can't... I mean, when I went to school, we prayed and we saluted the flag. And I thought that was a darn good thing. I mean, my father was in World War II. You know, he fought for this country. He fought for our freedoms. And then when I see him being taken away, like I said, the simple thing of of, uh, even the town not voting... It's not that I don't agree with the 40,000 going to Avalonia. Sure. It's the principle it's, of it's, it's being the procedure. able to move something somewhere. We should, we, sh- we were denied our freedom to have a vote on that. Yes. And that's what bothers me yeah. the most. You know, it, it, I think that's, but it's greed. Look at the, look at the, it, it makes me laugh sometimes when I, when I read the paper about the, I, I still call them Indians because that's the easiest way to describe them. They was what they were, or are. 
They built a, they had a, they used to have just a bingo hall, and then they got the big casino. Oh, now yeah. they want more casinos. And it's the money, like I say. Right. It's, it's, and people say, oh, money is the root of all evil. I said, no, it's not. That ain't what the Bible says. It's the love of money. Yeah. Is the root of all evil. Yes. You know, um, so that's what I see is disappeared. That's why I say, I tell a lot of people, I don't even want to go off my land anymore. I just want to protect it. <laughs> it was funny. When we left yesterday, uh, I was telling Margaret, I'm like, I think I'm going to grow up to be Brian because I love just staying at home and working on wood, and I don't need to talk to anybody else about it. <laughs> just leave they me alone. Make, let, me, let me sand some wood. So she's <laughs> like, I know. I knew you guys would get along. Um so that's it. I just uh, that was that was. She's a, she's a nice person too. I, Margaret, I mean, yeah. she's a sweetheart. Oh I don't know. God. I don't know where she gets her heart, um, but I know that it grew up here, and uh, we were traveling for a while, and we could we could have settled down anywhere, mm-hmm. and uh, she wanted to come here because of the schools and because her mom was close, and um, I didn't know. Because I'm just not used to... Be, I was a suburban kid, so I have no idea what like a small town <laughs> looked like. Um, but being here, like you can see it's it's different. Like People care about each other. Um, even though people in town have disagreements, in the end, um, we're all coming together for the common good, which yeah. I think is Well, important. it's still split. It That's is. the problem. But when you talk to someone, it's, it's usually uh, to take care of someone. You know, there's, there's usually a good, mm-hmm. there's usually a good heart behind it, um, and her heart, I can only, oh, she's I can only little... hope to achieve that at some point in my life. It made me, <laughs> it made me feel real good when, you know, like I say, I had a stroke. I couldn't even, I couldn't even go out and feed the chickens. I, it took me a long time just to come down here, and then, yeah. like I say, I'm stuck back. And I told my wife, I said, you know, I love being in my shop. I'm, I'm thinking like I was in when I was 19. Not that I'm going to go looking for anybody. I just, I'm thinking <laughs> about my woodwork. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and I said, I like being stuck there. Yeah. I feel like I'm alive again. Yes. You know, not, I know I'm on toward the end of my life. I know something's going to happen, but that's all right. Whatever the good. And when I had my stroke and I was in the hospital, I didn't pray to the good Lord make me better. I said, if you're done with me down here, Lord, just beam me up yeah, now. Yeah. That's the way I feel. And uh, But just to be able to be on this land and, and you know, I, I'm sure my mother and father know what I'm doing and yeah. probably say I'm crazy for doing, but I'm going to take it to the next level. That's my, I'm just a steward. That's all I am of yeah. this land. I'm never going to own it. Yeah. I'm a steward. Well, thanks for listening, and thank you to Brian for letting us invade your workshop for an hour. Stay up to date on future episodes of the Whiskey Tapes on whiskeytapes.com. You can subscribe to our RSS feed on SoundCloud, through Apple Podcasts, and on Spotify. Cheers! Cheers!